All right. If you found your place, can we just practice saying amen? If you found your place, amen? amen. All right. Good, good deal. There are places in our uh, nation that we have marked off and set aside as uh, sacred ground. I'm, I'm thinking of places like Little Bighorn. I've passed probably four times and never stopped at. I stopped one time. I thought, you know what? I passed this place. I don't know how many times running up to a, a job site up in Canada, and I'll go by Little Bighorn. I thought, one time, I'm going to stop. And I pulled in there, and it was uh, 10 bucks to get in, I thought. Eh, I'll look at it online. I pulled around and I got work to do and I went on. But I think of those places, you know, Little Bighorn, uh, Gettysburg. Gettysburg is another uh, area that we have marked off as sacred ground, even our own Wilson Creek, uh, Pea Ridge. I mean, there's uh, places all through our country that we have set aside. And I think of memorials, even like the Vietnam Memorial or the Korean War Memorial. I think of places like... Uh, uh, Oklahoma City and the memorial there that is for the, uh, the Murrah Federal Building when that was blown up back in 95, I believe it was. I remember that. I think it was 95. And then even more current, obviously, the World Trade Center and the memorial that has been built there because of what has happened. Hallowed, hallowed places. Hallowed places where men and women lost their lives for a, for the noble idea of freedom. And you might say the World Trade Center and the thinking about the the the, uh, the Murrah Federal Building. Well, another memorial of the attack on that freedom that uh, we hold so dear and should hold dear, and what we are uh, appreciative for. I hope. And it made me think also, uh, ultimately, about that tomb up in Arlington. How many have been to the tomb of the unknown soldier? Has anybody seen that? Has anybody? Yeah. Have you watched? Watched the, as they went through that, those 21 paces back and forth. And, uh, what, what an incredible scene that is. And, uh, that, that, that place where those only, only known to God who fell and gave their life for their country. And I'm telling you, those of you have been there, and even if you've only watched it, you realize that it was a serious place. It's a, it's a solemn place. The seriousness of that site is magnified, I believe, by the way that the military facilitates, uh, the, the, the protocol and everything that happens in that location. It's, it, you know, to get on to be one of those guards, they only choose from the Army's 3rd Infantry Regiment, the oldest regiment in the United States, called the Old Guard. They only take them from that regiment. You have to be 5 foot 10 to 6 foot feet tall, 6 foot 2 inches tall, there we go, 5 10 to 6 2. You gotta have a waist no larger than 30 inches around. I'm just, I just got counted out on two areas right there, okay? <laughs> They've got to memorize, they've got to memorize the memorial, the, the, the seven, I should say seven pages of information have got to be memorized verbatim, uh, that before they can be a guard. They, they memorize the names of the graves of 300 interred soldiers there at Arlington. They are to learn the exact 21 steps of the walk that they take back and forth, all the way down to the wet gloves, to, to that, in, that, 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 uh, fully functional M14 a rifle that is only, uh, only placed on the soul, on the shoulder that is away from the tomb as they go. I, I mean, the, the complete silence that must be maintained 
when it comes to that secured area. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, regardless of the weather conditions. Uh, the, the very few men and even fewer women have even applied for the position of a guard to the unknown, the, to the tomb of the unknown soldier. Watch this. Everything has meaning that they do. Everything has purpose that they do. Why? Why all of this? To illustrate the gravity and the solemnity of that memorial. Many men and women gave their life who remained completely unknown. They never got a proper burial. They never got recognition. They never got their medals. So we take, watch, as a nation, and we're not the only nation that does this, but as a nation we take very serious the sacrifice that has secured our freedom as a nation. Amen? Yeah. And so in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to spend some time on the church. On the church. Do you know even more than our national memorials? The church is a serious, solemn institution. Yeah. I want to look this morning at the polity of the church out of Acts chapter 20. I want to look this morning at the purpose of the church. I want to look this morning at the priority of the church. And I want to see here this morning, and I want to preach the message this morning. Really, I, rarely do I give you what title I preach this morning. It just worked out. I'm going to give you the title this morning. It's just this. Leave the church alone. Just leave it alone. Let it be. And we're going to look at that this morning, beginning in our text. And I want to look first off at the polity of the church. All that polity means, it's a nice fancy word, and all that it means is a particular form of government. Maybe, say, let me say it this way. It is just the way that we choose to run something. Alright? And, and we notice this with the church, that the church has a polity. It has a way that it was intended to be run. It was a way, it has a, has a reason and, and a purpose for why it is here. And, uh, we need to stay attuned to that. And we see, first of all, that the church, I want to set this foundation. I know many of us in here understand this, but it's a good place for a reminder here in our text that the church is a visible local organism. Right? Amen? It is a visible place. And we know this. How do we know this? Because of the design of the originator and what he intended it to be. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know that word ecclesia. It means a called out assembly. And we understand that Jesus was the one who called out his disciples. And we've, we've covered this. I'll just say it again. Uh, the, he called out his disciples who had been baptized by, by John the Baptist, who had the only authority to baptize at that time. And Jesus called those disciples out. And, and we understand by the designer uh, of, of the church, we understand that the church is a visible local organism. Jesus called out actual men for, to be in, into this church. And we understand it by the metaphors that he used. As a body, a building, and a bride. Always local, always visible. You may be driving across the country on deputation, or you may be on vacation, and your stomach might get grumbling a little bit, and, and your flesh may be taking over you a little bit, and, and you see in the distance this big, long pole. On the top of that pole, there's these golden arches. Now, the Spirit of God is saying, Pass on. Pass on. But your flesh is saying, stop, stop, I'm hungry, right? Those golden arches are what? They're a metaphor. They're a metaphor. But can I tell you this? 
a metaphor represents something that is actual and real. What is underneath those golden arches? Well, a wonderful uh, smorgasbord of great food to satisfy this hunger in your body. Uh, or something like that. What am, what, what am I saying? We understand that the church is local, that the, the, the church is visible, that it is a, a growing organism. We know this by the designer and by the design of the originator. We know it by the metaphors that Jesus uses for his church. We know by the charge given in Mark sixteen fifteen to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You, can I tell you this? Invisible people cannot travel across the world and preach the gospel. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, that, that hold to the Catholic doctrine of invisible universal church. You know what they do not believe in? Universal invisible tithes and offerings. Yeah. They always want that, don't they? Yeah. No, the church is local. The church is visible. It's a body. If it wasn't a body, he would have called it a spirit. But he called it a body. And all organized entities have a polity. They have a way that they're to be operated. All businesses have a polity. All homes, homes have a polity. All nations have a polity. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has a polity. They have a way, it has a way that it was intended to operate and to run. And where does our, uh, where, where is our procedures? Where is our manual? Where does our, our charge come from? Well, thankfully, one place comes from the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Isn't that simple? Isn't it amazing how complex and complicated, we have made church and what is supposed to be done. And I want to remind you also this morning that the church uh, that Jesus started was started, uh, this may sound a little redundant, by Jesus. <laughs> he has the right to dictate how his church operates. And you've heard me say it from here a million times. It's in my church. It isn't my pulpit. It's his church. And it's his pulpit. And listen, when I'm dead and gone, somebody else, Lord willing, if uh, it hasn't been in the timetable of, of, of God for the Lord Jesus to come back and this church is still here doing what it ought to do, when I'm dead and gone, and, and most of us in here will be dead and gone, uh, there'll be somebody coming right along beside the Lord to put in His pulpit and His church to carry on the Great Commission. Yeah. So I want you to notice here in chapter 20, there's an outline of events when assembled. Look at verse 7, would you please? I think we've established it's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice this. Verse 7, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. I want you to notice this outline here in verse 7 alone. Number one, we've got the first day of the week. Not Saturday. Remember when John wrote and he said, I was in the spirit of the, on the Lord's day. It was the Lord's day. When was that? The first day of the week. Why was it the Lord's day? Because it was the, it was the day that Jesus Christ came out of the grave alive. No, watch this. We, we, we recognize George Washington's birthday because he was born on that day. We recognize Abraham Lincoln's birthday because he was born on that day. We recognize your birthday and my birthday. Why? Because we did something, listen, that we had no control over. We were born. We had nothing to do with it. And what are, we, what are we recognizing on the first day of the week? That it was the Lord's day that he had absolute total, total control over. And he said, you put this body in the ground in three days, I'll raise it up again. And what did he do on that first, thir- first day of the week? He came out of the grave alive. Amen. You know what he do? You know what we do on the first day of the week? 
It's the Lord's day. It's His day. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But I think the Lord's day needs to be remembered as the Lord's day. We've got six days to do whatever we want to do. I I say that, you know, it's not completely biblical saying that. You know what I under, you know what I mean. Look what they did. They assembled on the first day of the week. They did this on the day of Pentecost. Hey, they're going to do it again. The first day of the week. Notice this number two. There's disciples. The disciples assembled. Who were these? The saved. You, you can study out the New Testament. You'll realize that the disciples are not just an upper class of Christians. Every born again child of God is a disciple or should be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are a disciple even though you may not be acting like a disciple. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we see here that the believers assembled. They assembled on the first day of the week. Notice this. They came together. There's that assembly there in verse 7. Notice also they broke bread. They fellowshiped there together. I know some people go here and say this is the Lord's Supper. I'm not going to delve into that here this morning. But you do realize, and, and I'm, no, I'm going to leave that alone right now. But notice this. They broke bread. Number, look at number 5, what we notice here. Number 5 in verse 7, Paul preached unto them. So look at this outline we have. They're, they're assembling on the first day of the week. There are The disciples are assembling, those who were saved. They're all assembling. They, they came together to assemble. They broke bread together. There's fellowship there together. There's preaching going on. And I love number 6 in this outline. Paul preached until midnight. You like that? Yeah. No, you didn't like that. Now, there is an intermission that happens in this service. There is an intermission. And you know what the intermission is, right? Some dude, Eutychus, fell asleep and fell off dead. <laughs> they had to stop. Okay, let's, let's get Eutychus back up. They get him back together and they uh, had all the candles going in the light in the, in the place. And they began to, this is when they actually started breaking bread and fellowshipping. And, uh, and they stayed there until midnight. I like that. And we know there's other scriptures that clarify other activities in the church. Like missions and like giving and church discipline and things that aren't fun like that. But here's the point. Here's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. Jesus has a way that He wants His church to operate. Okay, there's a, yes, yes, there's leeway within the construct. Yes, there's some cultural leeway from one place to another. There are things that you're going to do in Albania that we're not doing here. And there are things we're doing here that those in Albania are going to go, What are you doing? They're not going to, and, and uh, listen, a lot of missionaries have made that mistake over the years and tried to bring an American church into a non-American place. And, and this, this, but we're, what we're talking about, there's a overall construct of how Jesus wants his church to operate. Listen to me this morning. It was God's idea, not yours or mine. It, it, it was God's work, not yours or mine. It's God's continued empowerment, not yours or mine. So what am I saying this morning? Leave it alone. Leave the church alone. Yeah, in its polity. Not only in its polity. Notice also in the purpose of the church. So from here, Paul is going to leave and he's going to leave Troas. And he's on his way to Jerusalem now. He wants to be there for Pentecost. And his purpose now between here and Pentecost, there's a couple little stops in here. You can go back and read the complete context of that later. But he purposes now on his way to, to Jerusalem, he has purposed to stop over around Miletus so he can visit with the elders that are at the church at Ephesus. Would you find your place in chapter in verse 13, please? Verse 13, look at this. He says, And we went before the ship and sailed to Asos. 
They're attending to take in Paul. For so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot, he was going to walk. And when he met with us at Asos, we took him in and came uh, to Madeline. And we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and there and, and tarried that at, at uh, Trogilium. And then the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia. For he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. Okay, look at verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So here, he, here they are docked at Miletus. And Paul asked for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come meet with him. And we can see here there's a couple things that Paul is going to do in verses 18 through 20. Paul is going to remind them of his sincerity. Paul's going to remind them of his sincerity. Paul's going to remind them of his motives. Look at, look at verse 18, would you? And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lion and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, uh, testifying, here's Paul's going to sum it up, here he is, here's the purpose of the church, you ready for, ready for this? Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith, Toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So here Paul sums up the purpose of the church. Testifying. Preaching. Preaching what? Preaching to whom? The Greeks and the Jews. Here's, here's another way we call this. The whosoever will. Right? And what's he preaching to them? What, what is he saying? What, why is he doing this? Repentance towards God. And faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance towards God. What are you doing? You are understanding. You are changing your mind about what you believe about yourself. And you are changing your mind and believing what God says about you. And when we come to the repentance and believing what God says about us, we are going to then come to the place of putting our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ so we can change our condition from being lost to being saved. This is the, this is the purpose of the church. Yeah. It's the gospel, folks. This is the gospel. It's the charge that Jesus gave us. It's the purpose of the church. Yeah. It's our purpose here this morning. It's the purpose of Calvary Baptist Church. Amen. Go ye all the world and preach the gospel. When Jesus tells them to go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, into the uttermost part of the world, He's talking about Jerusalem, Nixa, Missouri. He's speaking about Judea. Well, I might call it the state of Missouri. Samaria. You think, what was Samaria? Half Jews, half Gentiles, not liked. Arkansas. He told them to go to Arkansas. <laughs> he told them to go to the uttermost part of the world, Albania and everywhere else. What it, no, this is, this is the purpose of the church. If you're from Arkansas, I'm just kidding, okay? I, I have more jokes I'll tell you later. No, this is our purpose. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, when we understand the polity of the church and the purpose of the church, we're going to come to understand the priority of the church. The pri no, it, it's what, no, let me say it this way. It, we will come to understand how the priority that we place on the church. 
Let me say it that way. You know, the things that take priority in our life are the things that we place there. Let me say it this way. The things that take priority in our life are a priority because we made them a priority. Now, there's a couple things that other people make a priority in our life, like taxes. Yeah. <laughs> but by and large, how much of our life do we choose of our own priority? 90% of it? If you're married, 50% of it? No. Oh, no. All right, all right, I'm joking. Yeah. So watch this here. Paul's headed for Jerusalem. Why? Verse 22. Because the Holy Spirit wants him there. Look at verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit. I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. So Paul's headed for Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit wants him there. Paul's headed for Jerusalem, even though the, the Holy Spirit of God is warning him what's going to befall him and the doom that is coming to him. Look at verse 23. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, verse 23. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But he's not deterred. Paul's saying there's something more important than my own life. There is something more important than my own comfort. But ultimately, watch this, the reason that Paul wants to get to Jerusalem, watch, because it is a part of the will of God for him. This was his role. Amen? Amen. Are we good with finding the will of God? Everybody everybody want the will of God? Yeah. Kind of making, kind of thinking you're backing off of the will of God, maybe. Make me nervous. Paul, no, hey, Paul wanted to finish the work that God gave him to do. That's what he wanted to do. Look at verse 26 and verse 27. He said, I, been, I finished the work in Ephesus. Look at, wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you, those elders he brought from Ephesus, all the counsel of God. He did what he was supposed to do. What was he supposed to do? Preach the gospel. Plant churches. This was the will of God for his life. And you know what Paul wants these at Ephesus to do? He wants them to finish their work as well. He said, I've done what God has called me to do. Now you do what God has called you to do. You say, where do you see that? Look at verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock over the which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So notice what he says here. Take heed to yourself, elders. Reminds me, physician, heal thyself. Sometimes we need to take heed to ourselves and take heed to the flock. Feed yourself and then feed the church. Why? Because the church is important. <laughs> it's important. Would you notice at the end of verse 28, you want to see how important the church is? Which he hath purchased with his own Blood. Can we do a little deductive reasoning here? To those that deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. To those that do not believe that Jesus is God. <laughs> the second person of the Godhead. Let me do a little deductive reasoning here in this verse here. He calls it the church of who? God. Say that with me. A church of who? God. So it's God's church, right? Okay. Which he hath purchased with what? His own blood. So whose blood was it? God's blood. Right? Okay. 
Who said, I'll build my church? <laughs> yeah. Who died? Who shed his blood? Who rose again? Yeah. A plus B equals C, doesn't it? Amen. Jesus is God. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. You remember when the high priest went in to offer every once a year that, that uh, the, the atonement every year on that, that one lamb? And they went in with blood that was not theirs. They went in with blood that was the blood of an animal. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9 quickly, would you please? Hebrews chapter 9. Find your place in verse 11. He says, the writer of Hebrews says, But Christ, being come in high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Here it is. Neither by the blood of goats and calves. Hallelujah. Look at this. But by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, having attained eternal redemption for us. Amen. What did Jesus go in? He went in with His own blood. His own blood. We have this here. The church is important. It's vitally important. Many of us remember September 11th, 2001. Some of you watched it when it happened. Some of you watched it later. But you remember those planes went into the tower there that morning of September 11th. You remember when the two planes went into the World Trade Center, then the news came later. There was another one that just went into the Pentagon. But there's another flight, Flight 93. Remember that one, don't you? Yes. Yeah. It was, it's, 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 it's unbelievable to me. It was, it was at least 30 minutes late taking off. And because it was late taking off, when they got up into the air, the timing that they, they had planned this out, but because it was late up into the air, those, the World Trade Center attack and the Pentagon had already taken place while they were up in the air before they got to where its destination was. And when that plane, Flight 93 had been taken over by those terrorists, and there had already been one, I believe, a stewardess that was killed, and they had already come into the cockpit and, and commandeered the, the, the cockpit and killed the pilots and things like that. And obviously people understood something was going on, and they began to make phone calls home, and that's when they began to learn what had already been taking place. And they realized, we're doomed. We're doomed. They didn't know where this plane was headed. They didn't know where it was going. But uh, the people on the plane, so some of them decided to finally uh, to, to take some action into their own hands. And they began to thought, we're going to just get together and we're going to take over the cockpit and we'll just take and commandeer this plane and keep it from wherever it wants to go. And so what they did is they ended up making their final phone calls. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that. In one of those phone calls, we know who the, we, his name has been become synonymous with all of this. But that one individual, Todd Beamer, remember that guy? And he talked to his family, and the, some of the last words. I, and I wonder if they've been able to keep that record. I don't know. I'm. I wonder. His last words were, "Guys, are you ready?" And of course, you know his last words. Let's roll. And a group of them ran forward into the cockpit. They couldn't take it over. And. Uh, Ultimately, we know that that plane went down, Flight 93 went down to Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And thanks, watch, thanks to the selfless intervention of a few people on board, 
the gravity, the gravity of that tragedy hangs on the heroic decision of a few passengers to do something about it. You know, if you go to Shanksville, Pennsylvania, there's a memorial there of all of those that died in Flight 93. Kind of like the World Trade Center, like the Oklahoma City Memorial, Vietnam Memorial. We build them, right? Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. There's a memorial to those that died in Flight 93. And can I tell you, it's a solemn place. It's a serious place. And... Let me say it this way. Anything secured by the sacrifice and blood of another is incredibly important. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Can you imagine going to that, 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 uh, that site of Flight 93 and just getting out your ball glove and just playing catch with your son? Throwing the football around, chucking the frisbee around while people are here at the memorial? Getting out the barbecue and just start cooking barbecue. And, oh, that's great. Couldn't imagine it, could you? Because of what happened there. Let me ask you this this morning. How much more important is a church that was called out and organized and secured by the blood of God? You know, Acts chapter 20 lays out the polity of the church, adds to that. We see great insight to the purpose of the church. And there's others throughout the New Testament, obviously. But for some reason, Paul goes here. The Holy Spirit goes here in Acts chapter 20. We see the priority of the church. The priority that it should have in the life of one whose freedom was secured by the blood of another. You understand that? You know, if you're going to measure the value of something based on sacrifice, what greater sacrifice is there than the blood of the Lord Jesus? Nothing. No, that's not hyperbole. It's not, no, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. We're doing a lot of deductive reasoning this morning. If that's the case, then there is no greater organism, nor greater organization, more important than the church that Jesus built. Yeah. There's no, there no mission greater than the gospel. Yeah, the church is important, isn't it? Yeah. You know, this is, this is why, I, I, this is before I was even a preacher. And this is not an indictment. Listen, we're all, we are all at different stages of our walk in our learning with the Lord Jesus. Some have just been saved in here. Some are coming along. Some haven't, haven't had uh, been taught certain things. I understand we're all at different stages of life and different stages with our walk. And this is not an indictment. This is all I'm saying. This is why I wear a suit and a tie to church. Somebody asked before I was even a preacher, why do you wear a tie, tie to church? Why do you wear a suit to church? Because I, I firmly believe that there's not a greater thing going on on the planet than what is going on in one of God's churches. Yeah, It's important. It absolutely is. Does a tie and suit make you holy? No, absolutely not. But in my thinking, <laughs> when I want to acknowledge that I understand that something that goes on here is important, this is just what I do. 
This is what I do. And some of you do as well. And others do as well. I, I, listen, we're all at different places in our walk with Christ. I understand that. But the point is, how, how do you make the church important? What goes on here, how do you show it's important? You know, this is why we attempt to do church the way Jesus commanded it to do. This is, this is why we don't get our Sunday school lessons from Andy Griffith. No, there, there are those out there. There is a whole series of Andy Griffith Sunday School and the, and the, and the great, uh, you know, uh, the great things from Andy Griffith. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm going to stop. No, this is why we keep, you know, food and drink out of sanctuaries. This is why we, 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 think we try to schedule our life around church, not church around our life. Right? When our kids were in school and they played sports in school and their Christian school and this and that, I told them, we'd tell them, listen, three, three days after you get out of high school, your basketball and volleyball will matter nothing. We're thankful for it. We're, we're good for what, what it tries to instill in you. I think you need, to, you need to learn to win and learn well and learn to win and win. And when you lose, learn to lose, right? These are all beneficial things. But when it comes to Saturday morning, you won't be at a game. We'll be out on visitation. When it comes to Sunday, thankfully we're a Christian school. They didn't have games on Sundays and Wednesdays. You're going to be in the house of God. No, why? Because that's what matters. It was important enough for Jesus to die for it. Right? It's important for us to create, to, to, to build our life around it. This is why we live a life preaching the gospel and winning the lost and going to other nations and putting your family aside and your grandchildren aside and your kids aside, which you probably isn't the most wonderful thing you thought you wanted to do in life, right? Looking right at the kings. And you want to cross the world to preach the gospel. Why? Because it's that important. Yeah. So what do I say this morning? Just leave it alone. Just do it like Jesus told us to do it. Yeah. Say, so, well, it's not growing like that one. Depends on how you measure growth, friend. Yeah. So let me ask you this morning. I'm going to wrap this up. We're, we better we better be done. So how, how serious do you take the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? in your attendance, in your attire, in your attitude, in your preparation, preparation, in your actions. I'm thankful for the testimony of so many in this room that take the, the church and the house of God and what Jesus started, you take it very seriously. What a blessing that is. But we could all do better. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine... Imagine this with me, would you please? You had a serious, serious legal issue and you had the money. So you went to the greatest law firm in the United States. And you set an appointment to meet with one of the best attorneys they had and they sent this attorney in there. The day came, you went in, you're sitting in the, this beautiful conference room. It's got a, you know, a 300 foot long table with chairs all over the place, just beautiful. And this lawyer comes in, your lawyer it's so serious, you're, you're spending this amount of money. And your lawyer comes in and he's in jeans, he's in flip-flops. He hadn't combed his hair yet, he's sweating because he just got done doing something else. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. He comes in completely unprepared. 
And then when you begin to tell them the burden that you have and the need that you have and the legal battle that's in front of you, you catch him and he's kind of dozing off. Wakes up every once in a while. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what would your takeaway be from that meeting? He doesn't take you serious, does he? Yeah. Would it be wrong to assume that? Would, would, could he rightly get up and say, Don't you judge me! Don't judge! <laughs> no, you're like, I'm getting ready to dump a ton of money here. And you just look like you don't care, buddy. You look like you don't care. Looks like he doesn't take his company serious. Looks like he doesn't take his job serious. Could you imagine the brain surgeon coming out that's going to cut your head open? Yeah. Still got dirt under his fingernails, you know? <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to it next week sometime. It's like, oh, okay. I feel very good right now. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you this morning, though, this is how many Christians treat the church of God every week. So how do you treat the church? How serious do you take what goes on here? Father, I need to close up here this morning. and I want to thank you for the clarity here in chapter 20. And the importance of your church.